The Truth Response. Hey, Podcast Land. Mark here, editor of The Truth Response. Last week, the Tchotchkes didn't get a chance to record because of just all the hubbub and celebration going on with Easter. So I thought it would be great if I brought you Nick's Easter sermon. This is a sermon on trust. We were finishing up a sermon series called Promises, and this is the last sermon of that, that series. And it really kind of brings in the focus of what, who Christ is, what he did for us, and what's to come if we just learn to trust him. So folks, sit back, relax, and enjoy the truth response. Hey, so we've been in this series called Promises. As you can tell, it's on the screen, right? And uh, today we're going to put a bow on this series of promises. It's been all about exploring some of these big promises that God has given to humanity. How he, he called up and raised up a promised people from just one man. How he led the, those promised people into a promised land. How through that king last week that we heard, he offered a new promised king that would come. And, and that's who we get to celebrate a little bit of today. But you know what, the, what is at the heart of every promise? It's trust. You know, what do you, what do you trust? A, a lot of us, we put a lot of trust in a lot of things that don't, don't really deserve our trust. I mean, let's think about what we trust. I trust that when I wake up in the morning, because I wake up before everybody else, I trust that there's going to be hot water in the shower, right? Because my teenage daughter hasn't quite made it there yet, right? So, so there's some trust in all of that. Right? I, I put trust that, that when I go and get in the car and I, I turn the key in the ignition, that's going to fire up and I'm going to be able to pull out of the driveway. You know what else we trust a whole lot that is a little sketchy and a little scary? Every time we pull out onto the road, we're saying we trust the other drivers in Southwest Florida. Yeah, like, that's a lot of trust, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I trust that you will abide by the rules of the road just as I will abide by the rules of the road and that we will get to where we're going safely and in a timely manner because that happens every day in Southwest Florida, right? We put a lot of trust in a lot of things around us. Uh, we keep putting trust in the Taco Bell drive through Like, I don't know about you, we seem to trust that it's going to end up far better than it ever does, but it never ends up all that well for any of us, right? We put a lot of trust, we put a lot of trust in the news that we consume. In the news media, every one of them has some bias and some bent. And yet we continue to go back to the well, putting our trust in them, and all they're doing is forming us and shaping us into what they want us to become. Put a lot of trust in our politicians, right? That, that they will deliver on all those promises that may, they make, when in, in, in reality, all those promises they make are simply to put them in power. You know what we put a lot of trust in? Put a lot of trust in this guy, don't we? We have our life tied to this in many regards banking information, where we've been, where we're going, what we're doing, all of our communication, it relies firmly upon this little fella right here. And we put a ton of trust that that data won't be compromised and that this will, will continue to work for us as we so desire. But we put trust that it's going to get us to where we want to go, right? I remember, so before God called me into ministry, in my life before that, I worked for a large communications company. I worked in a role that allowed me to work with the new emerging technologies. And I got to work with them and, and learn them and then go into stores and train on them and train our clients and make sure they were, were, were utilizing it to the fullest extent. And I remember there was a day that was a game changer in my life. It's when Google Maps happened, right? 
Google Maps, Google, Google navigation on the phone. Spent a lot of time traveling. And I was called to, to one event in a place I'd never been to before, but had kind of an idea of how to get there. But I was excited, right? Because I got to put it in Google Maps. I got to Google navigate it. So I, was, I got in the car and, and I punch in where I needed to go and, and then it hit start. And you know what happens next, right? It pops up, approximate time you're going to get there. Pops up the number of miles you're, it's going to take to get there as well. Tells you how long it's going to take and then you're like, I'll see you in two hours and raise you hour 45, right? I will beat that. That's a game. That's the challenge. I got you. That's what it's all about, right? And so I punched it in and turn left here, turn right here, go straight here. And it was one of those, those perfect, absolutely breathtaking summer days. And I, okay, I wasn't in Southwest Florida, right? Because summer, beautiful summer days, they happen in like December here, right? So, so this is why I was in, in Northeast Pennsylvania. And, and I remember following that and windows were rolled down. And you know what happens then? Like, like radio is turned up, full out rock concert happening in my car. Like I'm the drummer, I'm the guitarist, like... The, the steering wheel is this awkward guitar that I'm playing, and you do it too. I know you do, because I pull up next to you at the stoplight. I've seen every one of you doing it. Okay, that's a lie. But uh, most of you, Steve, especially you, I know you haven't. Chuck, I don't know what you're listening to, but it really gets awkward in your vehicle. That's, that's all I have to say. So it's something inside of me kept telling me I wasn't going the right way. But, but the navigation said I was, right? So, so I just kept trusting, and I just kept turning, and, and it just felt like I was turning the wrong way. And then finally it said, destination ahead, right? You always look forward to that moment. And then it says, you have arrived. And I remember looking around, and there was a giant field all around me. <laughs> that was not where I was intending to go. Found the closest gas station, pulled into to the spot, trusted technology to help me understand where I really was. And then I found that I had driven 100 miles in the wrong direction. Like, not just like off a little bit, like in the complete opposite direction. Opposite. Opposite. You got it. What do we know about these things that we trust? So often they lead us astray, don't they? Think about it. Our, our perspective is typically positive on all of these things. Like, like, just because it's pretty challenging to drive on the roads of southwest Florida doesn't mean we stop doing that. Just because every once in a while our car doesn't fire doesn't mean we stop getting in. Just because sometimes our data is leaked or, or compromised in some way doesn't mean we stop going back to the well, right? All of these things around us, so often they, they lie to us, they cheat us, they steal from us, they manipulate us, they fail us, they let us down, they disappoint us. Everything we place our trust in, in this world, is completely fallible. It, it will disappoint us at some given moment in time. So why do we have such a hard time trusting God? He's never broken a promise. Never once. In the history of humanity, he has always delivered on his promise. And he's got promises that are yet to come as well. Why do we have such a hard time trusting God? crazy thing is, is he knows you and he loves you more than you know you and you love you. Why do we have such a hard time trusting God? So often it's that we're just simply looking at his promises with an improper perspective. Our confidence and our trust only extends as far as our present circumstances. When things are good, so is he. Praise God, hallelujah, and amen. But when things aren't so good, 
then all of a sudden neither is he. God, why? Why would you do this to me? What have I done to deserve this? I want you to hold on to, to where we started this series a few weeks back, 2 Peter chapter 3. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. No, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Did you get that? Anyone and everyone. He wants everybody to embrace the fruit of this promise that he is giving of eternal life of eternal salvation, of hope, of grace, of peace, and of love. He wants everybody to be a part of that. But he knows sometimes we've got to walk through the valley in order to see the firm fruit that is upon the mountaintop. There are over 7,000 promises that God gives us in Scripture. Many of them, most of them, in fact, have already been fulfilled, and we see them playing out before our very eyes as we read through those onion skin pages. But some of which, they're on the horizon. Do you trust God? We're going to take a look at what it means to trust in a trial today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 27. We're going to pick up in verse 33. If you've got your Bible with you, love for you to turn with me there. Matthew 27, picking up in verse 33. As you're turning there, let's just get a little context. What's going on in this moment? So the first thing we have to understand is that, that the Gospel of Matthew has a very prominent theme. The theme is Jesus is King. That's right, before Kanye said it a few years back, Matthew was proclaiming it, right? Jesus is king, not a new idea. What we find leading up to this moment where we'll encounter Jesus in, in chapter 27, verse 33, is we see that the king, that he's been arrested for a crime that he didn't commit. And we see that the king, that he's been abandoned by all of those closest to him, all of those who have seen all of his incredible miracles performed right before their very eyes. We find that the king has been abused, that he has been mocked. We find that the king has been flogged. And some of you are like, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. That was not fun. Okay? Let me, let me just paint the picture of what this, this looked like when you were flogged. This was a Roman torture device. It was this long whip with these leather fingers fastened at, fastened at the end. And, and at the end of that were these, these pieces of sharpened bone and, and these pieces of rock. And what they did is they would lash you with it and literally break you and tear the flesh off of you. That was what it meant to be flogged. Jesus endured 39 lashes. If you've ever seen the, the Passion of the Christ, it paints an incredible picture of what Jesus endured even before he was crucified. We find that, that Jesus was then, as he was taken by the Roman guard, he, they, they spit on him. We find that, that they mocked him. They pulled the hair out of his beard. I've got this one-year-old at home whose favorite pastime is pulling the hair out of my beard. It's painful. <laughs> Ladies, you're like, I don't understand that. I mean, it's 2021, so maybe some of you do, but, but that's, that's a message for a different day, so we, we won't go there today. And then we find that, that Jesus, the king, that he was sentenced to death by those that he came to redeem, by those who should have seen exactly who he was as the long-awaited promised Messiah, the king. They were the ones that were too, too deep in their own trust, trusting their idols, trusting themselves, trusting the things of this world. They didn't want to step down from the pedestal, no. So instead they ordered that he be killed. 
We see that Jesus, he's, he's given this cross to carry about an eighth of a mile through the streets of Jerusalem. All the while, the streets lined with onlookers as, as the Passover was approaching. And, and they were, were shouting at him, jeering at him. And then when he made it up to that the hilltop called Golgotha, we see that he was, he was laid out upon that cross and that, that large spikes were driven through his wrists, driven through his ankles. He was nailed upon that cross and he was raised for the world to peer upon until he would breathe his last breath. Let's pick up in Matthew 27, verse 33. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the the written charge against him. I, I love this. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and and one on his left. Those who were passing by, they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are indeed the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, they, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and and then we'll believe in him. He trusts God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, even those two robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him, adding insult to injury. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eliah, Eliah, Lama, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The King, the Son of God. His words, Christ on the cross. You know, these are the only words of Christ on the cross that are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Hold on to that theme of Jesus is King. There are seven words, seven phrases that Jesus utters as he's being crucified, and yet these are the only ones that Matthew finds fitting to include in his Gospel. We find that there is one other moment in the Gospel, one other Gospel writer that includes these words in his, his narrative of, of Jesus on the cross as well, and that's, that's in the, the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, his emphasis is on the fact that Jesus is fully God and yet fully human. So we've got the fact that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, and Jesus is fully God and yet fully human. And both of these Gospel writers are pointing to this moment in which Jesus looks up and He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt that way? That word forsaken, in the Greek it means to abandon, to be deserted, to turn away from, to withdraw from. We can imagine, and and many scholars believe, that this is the very moment in which our sin firmly pressed in upon the Messiah. This was the moment in which the Father had no other choice but to to at least peer away from the Son, if, if for but what one single moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On their own, these words, they're full of despair. They're full of hurt. They're full of hopelessness. 
But these words, they weren't meant to stand on their own. Instead, they were meant to guide us to another king's words. Another king's words who also include a message of hope through the hurt and trust in the trial. These words, they call us back to Psalm 22. Now before there were chapters and verses and assigned to, to all of the books of the Bible, all of the Psalms were instead referred to by their first line. That was like the title of the Psalm. Like, like we have titles for the songs that we listen to on the radio. Just the Psalms were, were instead recognized by the very first line. You know what the first line of Psalm 22 is? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A king's psalm written by King David, perhaps in, in the pit of his own despair, maybe when he was being pursued by Saul who wanted to kill him, or, or by his very own son Absalom who wanted to kill him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. You hear the despair and yet you, you feel the hope that's tied to this, this moment as well. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, the author, he, he calls back to those moments in, in Israel when, when God delivered on his promises. And it's crazy because the trust that the, the Israelites had was, was, was very fleeting. He just pick up at the moment when they were led out of Egypt. Led out of 400 years of slavery. Moses calls them up. God leads them out in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They encounter this moment where they're standing on the shores of the Red Sea and all they see behind them is, is the Pharaoh's army bearing down upon them and they say, let's just give up. Let's just go back into slavery. We're better off there. At least we won't be massacred here. But Moses, he, he, he said, just trust. And he opened the sea and God led his people through on dry ground. And as Pharaoh's army, they began to, to go through on that same dry ground, God swallowed them up with the Red Sea, destroying their enemy. Their despair turned to songs of joy and songs of praise, but immediately their songs of joy and songs of praise turned back to songs of despair and songs of hopelessness as they wondered, Lord, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? And then God delivered food where there was no food, water where there was no water. Because our God is worthy of being trusted. Despite the fact that his people continued to turn away. He promised to lead them into a, into a, into a land that was, was not their own, but would be given to them as an inheritance. That they would live in homes they didn't build. That they would, would glean from fields that they didn't plant. And all the while, God's people, their trust, it wavered. Despite the fact that this was a God who never neglected to deliver on his promise. What he says is, trust me with your struggle, and I will satisfy it. He says, trust me with your debt, and I will pay it. Psalmist continues, but I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Listen to what he says next. 
And all who see me, they mock me. They hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Does that sound familiar? Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. The despair and and then the hope. The trial and then the trust. In life, God doesn't promise us pleasure. And if you think he does, that's a lie straight from the enemy. But what he promises is that he'll meet us in our pain. That he'll meet us in our trial. That he'll meet us in our struggle. That he'll be there with you as you walk through, as you crawl through the valley. He will be there to to put his hand out to you, to, to pick you back up and brush you back off and offer you a hope and a love and a peace unlike anything you've ever experienced. God doesn't promise us pleasure, but, but he does offer us a possibility. The possibility of life that, that prior to Jesus was completely impossible. A life united with him, not just for today, but for all eternity. Into his home where there is no mourning or weeping, where there is no sadness or pain or suffering or fear or doubt, but a place that is is fraught with love and hope and goodness. And everything operates exactly as it was intended. Psalmist continues, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. Many bulls surround me, the strong bulls of Bashan, they encircle me. Roaring lions, they tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Do you you feel the emotional and, and, and the spiritual struggle that is going on in this moment? My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of my death. Are you right there back at the cross? Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothing among them and cast lots for my garments. Sound like another familiar moment in history. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me. From the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. The despair and the trial and the trust that comes on the back end of that. Knowing that that our God is a God who is near to the brokenhearted. Trusting that that our God is is with those who mourn. Knowing that they shall be comforted just just as Jesus reminds. You know, the enemy... He uses our circumstances to get us to turn our trust away from God. To take our focus off of eternity and to get us to focus on the grave. What trusting God does, though, is it it transforms that grave into a garden. A grave is where we bury dead things to dispose of them, to hide them. But a garden is where we plant things things that we know will become very much alive, things that that have a purpose in life, things that will bear good fruit and satisfy. And that's what our God is calling us to when we give Him our trust. You can feel the despair in all of this, and yet you can feel the hope. 
All of these figurative expressions of David's suffering are just a glimpse into the depths of human despair. But they became literal through the suffering of Jesus. We have a God that can relate to us on every level. I want you to hold on to that, like every single level. Emotional abuse, Jesus has been there. Physical abuse, Jesus has been there. Spiritual abuse, Jesus has been there. He has been there in the valley with us. You think you have something that will make God blush if you give it back to him? Trust me, he's been there as well. He knows where you are. He knows what you're stuck in. And he's willing to walk with you through it if you'll trust him enough to give it back to him. He will transform that grave into a garden. He will bring those dry bones back to life. That's the God we serve. Jesus knew this very moment would come. He knew the pain would be unbearable. But he knew the payoff was priceless. Because he knew what it meant not only for him, but for every one of us. That was a message for Friday. We all love Friday. Because it marks the end. We're Sunday people. Sunday marks the beginning. Sunday gives us new opportunity. Sunday offers us new hope. Sunday brings us new life. And Jesus changed that narrative 2,000 years ago. We've got to get out of that Friday mindset because we've been made for Sunday. We've been made brand new, not for the end, but for the beginning. There is hope on the horizon when you trust in the trial. And God shows you there will be purpose in your pain. And He will lead you from the grave to the garden. Sunday is coming. And in fact, Sunday is here. The psalmist continues. I will declare your name to my people. Despite the suffering and the hurt and the trial, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He's not hidden his face from him, and he doesn't hide his face from you either. But he's listened to his cry for help. Are you calling out? From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. We serve a God who delivers on his promise. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. At the end of the earth, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. A glimpse into what's to come, the promise that is to come. When every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and everyone will stand before the throne of God. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. The rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will near before him. Hold on to this next line. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. So often all of these things that we put our trust in promises to keep us alive, but there isn't one of those things that can redeem us, that can restore us, that can give us the peace and the hope that will turn our dry bones into life again. You cannot keep yourself alive regardless of what Queen said in 1973. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. 
I love those last words because it takes us to the last words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. It is done. It is over. Your sin is removed as far away from you as the east is from the west. No longer is there this chasm that exists between you and your creator, but he has built a bridge so that we can have full access to him, full unadulterated access to the creator of the heavens and the earth, and that he will walk with us in the valley, that he will stand with us on the mountaintops. It's not wrong for us to ask God to change our circumstances. No, but we must hold on to the hope that his promise of his promise, regardless of whether or not the results are in our favor. Whether or not the results of that test favor us or not. Whether or not, the, the, in regards, regardless of whether our, our loved one pulls through or whether they don't. Regardless of whether the people around us see our worth and our value or whether they refuse to see the fact that we are all children made in the image of God. This life is not the end. This is not where it ends. This is not, it's not, not the end. This is the beginning. Our God is faithful and he promises to meet you in this trial and in the one to come. What this leads us to is to know that just as brutally honest as we are about our struggle, we must be equally as honest about our sin. We must trust him with all of that burden that we carry around so that he can loosen every shackle that we have bound ourselves to. Addiction, trial, struggle, divorce, adultery, whatever that might be. Give it all back. And what he does is he turns our mess into a masterpiece. Jesus faced the grave so that we wouldn't have to. And I know you're going to say, Nick, Nick, like I've been to a funeral before. There are only two guarantees in life. One is death, the other is taxes. But this view, it's just, it's just as short-sighted as believing that God's trustworthiness is measured only by our present circumstances. Grave is not the last chapter in the story of our lives. It's not the period at the end of the sentence. No, instead it's a comma. It's a, it's a breathing mark that binds us to the rest of the story, a story that will take an eternity to tell. And he wants you to walk alongside of him for every single moment of it. Not meant for the, the grave where the dead are buried. We're meant for the garden where the fruit will be born. Trust. Trust that if you're stuck in the middle of Friday, where all you see is the grave staring back at you, Trust that Sunday is coming. For all of you, Sunday is here if you will grab hold of it. And when Sunday comes, God will do the impossible in your life. He will perform the miraculous and He will call you out of that grave that you've been stuck in. Out of that void, out of that death, out of the sorrow, out of the pain, out of the darkness, and He will welcome you into the light. He will replace all of that with life and hope and peace and love. The thing that transforms the grave into the garden is trust. Trust in Jesus. Do you trust? Jesus calls us into an act of trust. Prove just how much we trust Him. He tells us to confess. Confess 
Jesus is Lord. He tells us to repent, to give back all of that sin. He calls us to be baptized. There's no power in that water, but there's power in the obedience that that water brings because it shows that we trust. We serve a God who is worthy of our trust. Do you trust Jesus? If you're here with us in your seat back, you'll find a cup, communion cup, a little wafer on the top. If you're at home, grab some crackers, grab some juice. And this is simply a symbol of trust. This is a symbol of love. Jesus gathered his disciples around the table on that, that last supper. He looked at every one of them, knowing full well that even one of them would be the reason that he would be arrested, be led to the, the grave that he could transform into the garden. He knew the pain that was coming. He looked at every one of them and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And then he lifted the cup. He said, this is my blood. It's been shed for you and it is a brand new promise. Trust this one that your sins are forgiven. Take and drink. Let's pray. Father Grace, we don't deserve what you've given to us, Lord, but let us celebrate today. Because what was dead and buried is now alive. And you are resurrecting us just like you've resurrected Christ. Just like he was called out of the grave, so are we. Let us hold firmly to that love and that grace. Let us hold, hold on to the truth that you see us worth dying for. Lord, do your work and resurrect our lives. Take those dry bones and put the flesh back on them. Help us to see that we've all been made in your image. That you love us so much that you couldn't bear to spend eternity without us. Lord, lead us in your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and give us a like on iTunes and Spotify so that you will never miss a show. And while you're at it, check out our Facebook and Instagram pages and make sure you tell your friends about this show. You don't want them to miss out on the truth because we are all about the truth here. Thanks for joining us this week and God bless.